Do you believe that you are the true CEO of your own business? In fact, do you believe that you are the CEO of your own life? Because too many of us entrepreneurs are stuck in a poverty cycle where we're not paying ourselves enough, we're not making the income that we deserve, we're not making the consistent, repeatable, profitable income that we deserve, and we're sure as heck working far too many hours to achieve what supposedly was our dream business. That is what we are going to absolutely demystify and break out of in this podcast episode. You're listening to The Untapped Podcast, a podcast where you can learn how to tap into your potential and get paid to be you so that you are ultimately doing the work that you love and living life on purpose. It sounds too good to be true. I can tell you it's not. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson, a Kiwi entrepreneur, author, speaker, podcaster, obviously, triathlete, and white German Shepherd lover. And I have gone from the corporate world to my own business, where for the last 11 years, I have essentially been learning and educating people how to build an online business they love by monetizing them and what they do best. So sit back, relax, and enjoy these golden nuggets with myself or my amazing and inspiring guests. And make sure that you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen into this just search for Untapped with Natalie Sisson. All right, let's dive in. My guest today is Rachel Cook, an award-winning business strategist, host of the Promote Yourself to CEO podcast and a best-selling author. And like me, she's on a mission to end entrepreneurial poverty for women. Over the last 10 years, she has helped thousands of female entrepreneurs design predictably profitable businesses without the hustle and burnout that doing all the things inevitably accomplishes. In fact, Rachel is a sought-after speaker on entrepreneurship, marketing, and productivity, and she's been featured in some really awesome places like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Forbes Coaching Council, and the Female Entrepreneur Association. Her real passion, though, is supporting savvy, soulful women as they implement the strategies, systems, and support to uncomplicate their business so they can work less and live more. And in this episode, we talk about how you can grow while paying yourself a proper income, especially if you're the breadwinner. Understanding the speed of growth and its dependency on how much you can reinvest and this tendency that female business owners will bootstrap their way to everything and how we can stop that. How to define and implement a process that creates a baseline revenue. And we also talk about breaking free of the feast of famine cycle. So really understanding how to operate your business in a way that lets you step up and just be the awesome CEO that you can be and focus on three most important things that will move the needle for you. And Rachel shares those in this episode. So I'm just going to let us whip into this because this was fantastic episode. Plus she threw out some really fascinating and kind of disheartening stats around women entrepreneurs that I want us to be able to change. Every single one of us needs to step up and do. So without further ado, Let's go. Rachel Cook, so fantastic to have you on the Untapped podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Me too. And I'd love to know a little bit more about how have you tapped into your potential and how do you get paid to be you so that listeners know exactly who they're dealing with. How I have tapped into my potential is I've really leaned into a couple of things. My strengths, the things that I'm really great at. And I've also leaned into my own definition of success. Mm. That has driven everything in the last 12 years of me running my own business and growing this business. 
and has really shaped the direction my business has gone over several iterations, as many people probably experience. This is now the third iteration of my business. And how I get paid to be me now um, is I get paid to help women to make more money. I get paid to help women entrepreneurs to design predictably profitable businesses so that they can not only live the lifestyle they want, which is the biggest reason why so many women start businesses, they want to be able to contribute to their families and they want to be able to live on a schedule that works better for them and they want to make an impact in the world. All of those things are great, but I really love and have been able to move the needle for so many women entrepreneurs in designing businesses that are actually sustainable for the long term. And that is really important to me because I believe when more women have more wealth, when more women have more money and more power, we are more able to directly impact the world that we live in. In fact, there's some research out there that says when women make more money, we direct 90% of those resources into our families and our communities and our world. And men do not tend to do that as much. So I truly believe, and the research backs me up, that if we want to make the world a better place, we have to follow women and we have to empower women, not just by saying, you go girl, you can do it, but by actually giving them the tools to build that economic engine that will move things forward. Hmm. <laughs> I was nodding my head so much during that. And then I realized it's an audio. So, you know, podcast, but just hopefully that super resonated with you folks listening. Cause it certainly did with me. And I think that's why my mission is so important because it's about creating that ripple effect. Right. And I'd love yeah. to actually get a link to that research. Cause I have also heard that read that and seen it backed up substantially, just how, if you can help, especially young girls and women in the community, they're far more likely to make that community succeed, and especially in the developing countries. But even in the Western world and in some of our communities, it's just incredible when women lift each other up, what we can do. So little heck yeah there, little hand raise. So that is awesome. And I'd love to know, I guess, the 12 years in business and the third iteration, what, what does the third iteration look like now? And how have you changed as a CEO of your business to I guess, embrace that yeah. third iteration. So now I am running, the business is called the CEO Collective, where I help women entrepreneurs to scale primarily service-based businesses. Mm-hmm. And that has been the evolution of me continuing to follow the breadcrumbs and listen to the women that I serve. So when I first started my business, I came out of my MBA program. I have an undergraduate and a graduate degree in entrepreneurship and small business management. And I got recruited straight out of my MBA program into the consulting world as many MBA students all understand. Like we get (laughs) recruited into finance or consulting, something along those lines. And that's exactly what happened to me. I got recruited into consulting And it only took me about three years to completely burn out of that entire life. Not only was it an incredibly toxic work environment where I was the only woman in an office of 50 consultants, but I was on the road six days a week. I was working 80, 100 hours a week. It was just insanity. And I finally burned out, like literally had adrenal fatigue, started having panic attacks. And I found myself on the road, I was about to get married and was like, this cannot be my life. This is not what I want my life to look like. So I took a medical leave of absence. I actually claimed disability. I took three months off and found myself crying on a yoga mat 
As you do. <laughs> As you do. As you do. You, you take medical leave, you go to the doctor, they say, oh, let's just give you a bunch of, you know, anxiety medication and go back to work. And I was like, no, there has to be a better answer for like what's going on here. Um, so I took three months and I did everything. I went into holistic healthcare. I was on my yoga mat every day. I worked with a life coach. I worked with a therapist. I was like me being the, I'm an Enneagram type three. I'm obviously a type A. I'm ambitious. I was like, let's just knock this out in the three months that I've been given and figure out what the next move is. And while I was doing all of that in a very type three way, um, I had a conversation with my yoga teacher and she at that point had been running her yoga business in a studio here in Richmond, Virginia for a few years and was struggling. And she said, I know that you have this background, you have this experience and you're wondering if you should go back to consulting, but I need help. Do you think I should close the studio or do you think I could continue running it? And that sparked an idea for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, here I, I have been working with entrepreneurs and small businesses, but the small businesses I were working with, they were multi-million dollar businesses that had under 50 employees. That was the definition of small business. I would use. <laughs> Yeah. Slightly different. <laughs> slightly different. And mm. then I had this conversation with my yoga teacher and she's like, you know, I really need some help and I don't know where to go. No one understands my business. Um, I tried talking to my accountant. I tried talking to these traditional people and they totally didn't understand what I was trying to do. And I was like, oh, sure. And me being MBA and a consultant background, I was like, let me see your PL. Let's talk yeah. about your capacity rate. Let's talk about all these things. And it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, micro business owners could use my help. Mm-hmm. Micro business owners do not have access to consulting. They do not have access to the information that much bigger organizations have access to. They can't necessarily access it because of, you know, the expense of it, but also there's no one who really understands how their business works. So that was the first iteration of my business. She literally handed me um, herself as my first client. (laughs) And then we hosted a workshop called the Yogipreneur and that became the first brand was the yogipreneur.com. And this was in 2008, 2009. At the time, there were only five people working specifically with yoga business owners or the yoga Mm -hmm. industry. You could find us all via SEO. I did not have to work very hard and word got out. It was very much a referral-based business Mm -hmm. because in that community at that time, over 10 years ago, if you were a yoga teacher and you had a studio, you also knew everyone you went to teacher training with, everyone you'd been to a training with, everyone you'd been to a retreat with. Like it was a very interconnected community. So different today. But at the time, it was very much a referral-based business. Mm. And... Fast forward about five years, I started as the yogipreneur. Then six months later, I got pregnant with my twins, ended up on bed rest for three months, had them, realized I could pivot my entire business instead of going physically into yoga studios or holistic healthcare centers or wellness centers. I was like, oh, there's this cool thing called GoToWebinar or called Skype. <laughs> These were new things back in 2008, yeah. 2009. And I realized, oh, I can work with these people and they don't even need to know that I'm like talking from them on my bed because I have to lay on my left side for most of the day. (laughs) So I shifted my business to be online and that's when things really started to take off. So by 2014, 
I had a community of about 20,000 entrepreneurs and I realized not all of them were yogis. Mm. A lot of them were in the holistic health and wellness space, but I was also getting a huge group of coaches. The whole coaching industry was just starting to blow up. So I shifted to my own personal brand Mm -hmm. and continued to run online courses, um, which became really my bread and butter for a lot of the last 10 years was creating and, and running online courses. But over the last um, really two and a half years now, I made a shift because I went kind of backwards. I started hosting an in-person event called the CEO Retreat. Mm. In-person now is kind of funny. Um, (laughs) We also host it virtually, thank goodness. But when I launched this event called the CEO Retreat to help women entrepreneurs to create a 90-day plan, suddenly one a whole different type of woman entrepreneur showed up. Women who identified themselves as a CEO, as a leader, as somebody who had a bigger vision than just a business that created a salary for them. And the impact that it was making in their lives and their business was they were starting to see that they didn't have to get stuck in information overload. They didn't have to buy a million courses. They didn't have to try a thousand different online marketing strategies. They just needed to focus on staying in implementation mode with their 90 day plans. So that led to me creating a print planner. Like we're going backwards. We're actually going from online marketing to old school, like in-person retreats, creating a print planner. And from there, we launched the CEO Collective because I realized where I could make an impact was with the women entrepreneurs who wanted something more than a lifestyle business. And I love having a lifestyle business. I had, that was where I started was just how can I replace my corporate consulting salary? But at some point when you realize the impact your work is making, you start thinking, how can I do this without all the hustle and all the burnout? How can I make this sustainable? How can I change the direction that businesses can go so that not only is it sustainable for me, but sustainable for my employees and sustainable for my community so that we all can rise together and change the direction our world is going. So that's how the CEO collective got here. It started at the Yogipreneur, then it went to a personal brand where I could be a little bit more inclusive with lots of different types of businesses to the CEO collective where I'm really working with women entrepreneurs who want to make a bigger impact without sacrificing their lives, their families, their self-care. That's what drives me right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing the story. I love that I didn't even have to ask a question. I'm always so curious about people's journeys and their, well, their involvement as well. And I just love, I mean, was it fun for you to share that story? It is kind of mind-blowing to share that story Mm -hmm. because I am a planner. Like I am type A. I'm a planner. I have spreadsheets Me and Excel, get it on on the regular. We love to plan and get into the nitty gritty. But so much of what has happened in my own journey has been, honestly, it's been serendipitous. Like it has been very much timing and leaning into what people are telling me they need and just trusting that I'm taking the next right step. I'm taking the next right step. And every time I just listen to myself and to the people that I work with, it moves forward. Maybe a little woo for somebody who also loves to plan, but that has truly been the magic. It has Mm -hmm. been a combination of having the plan, but also listening, looking Mm -hmm. for the breadcrumbs. 
I don't think that's woo at all. I don't think enough people do enough listening. I think they do a lot of assuming. They do a lot of second guessing rather than asking. And I have ladies in my 10K club right now who I love and they're like, well, I just assumed they couldn't pay me that. Or I just assumed they were navigating away from this page for my fees were too much. And I was like, yeah, I wouldn't assume anything. Like that's the page where you want the little chat box. Like, hey, what decision are you making today? Or how can I help you? Just get into their heads. And I think it's so interesting. I love that for you, so much of it was about flow and recognizing, as you said, your strengths and all that amazing consulting career and things that it taught you. And then applying that to people that you actually genuinely really wanted to help. You've also emphasized the power of a niche. So the Yogipreneur, I mean, awesome. I'm surprised Entrepreneur Magazine didn't come after you for the Preneur bit, but that's another story. <laughs> Maybe they did. I got the trademark. It's all uh, good. Okay. Phew. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I just find that really awesome. You know, that was the niche and that was the thing that really got you started off in this. And for a beautiful mm-hmm. community of people who do quite honestly need help in that. So many yeah. creatives or people in the health and holistic industry have incredible skills and gifts. But the one thing that they often will say to me is that they fall down on is how to market that. And I don't think it's just that industry, but because their gifts are so much more on the personal relationship level, it can be hard to switch into that spreadsheet planning. What are my goals? So I love that. I love that you helped them out and then expanded beyond that. I'm curious about why you feel that women in particular get stuck in this poverty cycle. And I'm I'm not meaning that they're super poor, but it's almost like a a poverty mindset. And also sometimes in the way the income is earned and the revenue streams that they set up. What have you seen over your 12 years in business? Is there patterns emerging for you? Yeah. So I, again, I go into the research. That's my first place to go is (laughs) research. And there was a point where I was invited to speak at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Center for Women in Business. It's this beautiful, historic, old building in Washington, D.C. And I was going to speak in front of a room full of about 200 women about what it's like to be a woman entrepreneur. And when I was having this talk about what I had built, the fact that at that point, this was about 2015, I had built a multiple six-figure business. I was only working 25 hours a week. I was working from home. I was making my own schedule, doing work I absolutely loved. And afterwards, it took me two hours to leave the building because so many women were coming up to me saying, how, how did you do this? Because for them, they had been programmed in this very old school way of doing business, a very masculine way of doing business, which is hustle, 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 more is more, do all the things, And saying that you're exhausted and burned out is actually a badge of honor. And they were like, how can I do this? Because what is different for us is women are still the primary caregivers. When we start to build businesses, we often will hire support for our business, but not get support at home Mm -hmm. because we are shamed for it. We are shamed for making more money than our partners. This is a huge thing. In fact, the research out there shows that women MBA students will often say the biggest thing that they're worried about is out earning their potential partner in the future. And they would rather take a lower salary than emasculate their husband. All of these things start to add up, right? All of these things start to add up. And so then I asked the woman who was facilitating this whole conversation, I was like, what research do you have about women in business and how much money they're actually making? So women in the United States, and those are the stats I have right now, sorry, anyone in Canada or New Zealand or anywhere else, (laughs) but in the United States, women make up 39% of small business owners. 
but we make 4% of the revenue really? of all small businesses. Wow. I thought it was closer that, to 50, but I knew that uh, the revenue was really, really low, 4%. It is so disproportionate. Women entrepreneurs, women small business owners, only the top 2 to 3% break a million dollars in revenue. Now, in general, about 10 to 12% of small businesses break a million dollars in revenue. Right. So again, completely disproportionate. And even if you go down to smaller revenue numbers, we're looking at only about 12% of women entrepreneurs are breaking that six-figure mark. And I know there's so much conversation out there about six figures, like you should hit the six figures, you should hit the six figures. But honestly, when it comes down to it, if you're running a sustainable, profitable business where you're able to hire and support and you're not doing all of it by yourself, six figures simply isn't enough. Mm -hmm. Because by the time you pay your expenses and your taxes and everything else, you might be making $100,000 on the top line, but only taking home fifty dollars to $60,000, which maybe for some people is fine. But for a lot of people who have families, who have aging parents they are caring for and trying to pay for care for right now, who are trying to contribute to retirement, who are trying to build wealth for themselves that's not enough. It's just not enough. And the numbers are skewed even lower when you look at the numbers for women of color, black women, indigenous women, minority women, LGBTQA women, like the numbers skew even lower. So for me, when I look at all of those numbers, when I looked at all of the research, I had to start figuring out like, what is it that is holding women back? Because also the research shows we are overeducated. We are more educated than our male peers. Women are coming out of school with more degrees, more advanced degrees, more master's degrees, more PhDs. And that's not the problem. It's not the education. It's not the experience. The average age of a woman entrepreneur starting her business is 44 in the United States. Really? That means for most women entrepreneurs starting their business right now, she's got 20 years of real life experience in her field, Mm -hmm. more times often than not. So it's not education, it's not experience, but the challenges that we come up against are so different because they're cultural. Mm -hmm. They're cultural and they're systemic. We do not have access to funding at the rate that men have access to funding. No, we don't. And often, most women don't start businesses going out and seeking funding. We don't go out and start looking for a loan or somebody to be a partner or somebody buy in with equity, we often bootstrap our businesses, Mm -hmm. which usually is the longest path to getting to profitability because you don't have much to start with. And then if you add into it, women who are trying to pay themselves a salary at the same time, (laughs) trying to take care of their (laughs) families at the same time, that's even less resources to reinvest back into the business. Mm -hmm. So when most women are starting businesses, Because the system we live in does not, especially in the United States, I'm not going to say for everywhere in the world, we don't have this figured out yet here. So if anyone wants to come like (laughs) educate us more, we don't have maternity leave. We don't have paid maternity leave. We don't have protections that a lot of other countries have. So those are the biggest reasons why women start to leave the workforce is they keep bumping up against this glass ceiling. And the reason the glass ceiling is there is because it's systemic. Those businesses were not designed for women. They were designed for white men with a wife at home who can 
take care of the kids and keep the home fires burning. They were not designed for women in a dual income working home or a single income, you know, single mother home. They weren't designed for us. So in my view, the way all this comes down into the head of Rachel, which is a scary place to be sometimes, but it is, I can't be the person. I'm not the person. I know this about myself to change those old infrastructures, to change those old paradigms. I'm the person here to build new paradigms. Yeah. How can we build new businesses from the ground up that value diversity? How can we build new businesses from the ground up that value women's rights, that value mothers, that value parental leave, that value great health care? How can we build those organizations from the ground up and think a little bit bigger about the impact we could potentially make beyond just paying ourselves a comfortable salary? Yeah, or a lot bigger. Preach it, sister. I love it. I 100%. You know what makes me well, not laugh, but is that in 2009 and 10, when I was in Vancouver, starting my business and also co-founding a tech company, I started looking into all these stats myself back then, because I was like, why am I the only woman and certainly woman at all and woman of color or anything in a room with all these tech founders? Um, I remember once being at the stand of our company because we had a, a software solution on Facebook and I was standing there with my co-founder and I think somebody thought I was a booth babe because everybody else in that booth area was kind of hired in to look good. Um, and I was like, no, no, I'm the co-founder. <laughs> Do you want me to show you the software and how it works? And they're like, oh. <laughs> and it was just incredible. I actually wrote a blog post back then about the stats and it's interesting. This doesn't feel like it's changed much, but I'm actually going to go back and read that article and link to it here. It'll be curious. And also to link to some of the ones that you've noted, which are super useful. And I would love there to be more global research. And there is, but I know the US just has so many stats of gone stats, gone stats and research. Um, but it is just really fascinating. I, I feel like I love the idea of being part of the new paradigm because what we have in place we can either fight against it, or as you said, we can create our new one. And I do think there's some really positive stories coming through and there's some really interesting stats coming through. You know, I've seen a lot of investment companies set up by women for women. There are funds out there solely for women. There are funds out there solely for women of color, a BIPOC, and it's just incredible, the grants, the funding that is there. I'd love to come back to why you think we don't tap into grants, funding, loans, investors earlier on because in my mind and this could be a good limitation it's typically a, a certain kind of business where that early capital raise is really really useful right especially in the tech world or if you're going into products and you're actually creating something that requires substantial money up front but do you see some of your clients and the women in your collective using this just for service-based businesses to really get a kickstart well what's been interesting right now i mean the biggest fundraiser for women entrepreneurs is friends and family Mm -hmm. When it comes down to it, <laughs> that's how yeah. most of us get started as friends, family, savings, credit card. Yeah. And what's interesting right now is we are seeing such a shift in businesses and the businesses that had the potential to grow. There has been in the past, this feel of if your business can't in the venture capital world, if it can't scale massively and become the next Facebook, then you're never going to get funding. Well, now there's a whole other group of people looking to fund businesses and they're not looking for that unicorn. They're looking for just businesses that are going to be successful and profitable. So I think what's happening right now is yes, there are a lot of organizations that are coming up that are starting to address this issue, that are starting to make grants and funding available. And thanks to 
things like online marketing and social media, they can get that message out in front of more and more people. In fact, right now, because of this whole COVID thing that is rocking our world, we are seeing more opportunities pop up to get access to funding than ever before. Here in the United States, they have released a ton of opportunities for small business owners that were never available before at this scale. And I know that across the world, like pretty much every country is making programs available for small businesses to stay in business. But what it comes down to for women is just saying, I should take this, not against the mindset shift. I think a lot of women are like, well, I don't really need it yet. But we have to think more like, okay, we don't know what the next six months or the next year will look like. If it's available, take it. Mm-hmm. Say yes. Say yes, I will take that funding. I will take that loan at 3% because it is cheap money. And our success really depends on us not saying, well, I don't need it or worrying that if we take it, it means we're keeping it from someone else. I think that's a huge fear a lot of women have. Um, I just saw a stat from Elvest, which is an amazing company here in the U.S. that supports women entrepreneurs. And they said 90% of women entrepreneurs and minority entrepreneurs were locked out of our paycheck protection program, which to me is like, well, did they even apply? Did they have the things in place to make it easy for them to apply? Mm -hmm. Did they have the right financial reporting set up so that they could apply? Because the restrictions were very low on that. They really made it available for a lot of people. But when I heard from a lot of women, they were like, well, I'm worried about taking on debt to keep my business going. I'm worried about saying yes to this. And I'm like, but it's forgivable. So I think some of it is a mindset thing Mm -hmm. because for women, we tend to think, well, if I take it, does it mean someone else doesn't get it? If I take it and I don't need it right now, is that just being greedy and selfish? Whereas other bigger businesses are often saying, yeah, I took it because I don't know what's happening and I want to keep that cash on hand knowing that the terms are just so good. Mm -hmm. So this is the difference in CEO mindset. Like a CEO sees that long-term view and weighs the options and says, I'm going to take this because I don't know what will happen and I've got responsibilities. And if this is available to me, I'm going to say yes. Whereas a lot of lifestyle entrepreneurs, micro business owners who are very much tying their revenue to just their lifestyle and their personal income, they tend to think very short term about what might happen. Mm -hmm. And that's actually holding a lot of them back right now, especially more than ever. I, I anticipate and I kind of am looking ahead. I think we're in for a tough year in people who don't say yes to these opportunities to get the support and to get the help are going to be the ones that struggle the most. And women are famous for not asking for help and saying, we can do it all ourselves. You know, we want to wear the Wonder Woman (laughs) outfit Mm. and say, we can do it. But there's nothing wrong with asking for help or looking into programs that will help us continue to move our businesses forward. Yeah, 100%. And there's nothing wrong with being a lifestyle entrepreneur, just for those listening, because that was what I was for years. But I did have a multiple six-figure business while doing that and just didn't have all the costs, the family or anything um, as a structure there. So I was living footloose and fancy free. But I really like the idea of, you know, regardless of your business structure and type, how many hours a week you're working, et cetera, tap into those funds and those grants and those schemes that are helping you out and do treat it as something that's going to give you a leg up or a step up. Because as you said, we are so in for a rough ride, I'd say for even a year or beyond. 
borders aren't opening anytime soon at the time of this recording. Businesses have been going out of business at a huge rate. And at the same time, there's always silver linings and opportunities are plenty. So I'm really excited and I feel like women can be leading the way here, which is super cool. I'd love to step into this hustle versus flow kind of equation because I think it's really important. You know, you were making multiple six figures several years ago in 25 hours a week. I know a lot of people listening to this be like, what? And probably paying yourself a really decent CEO salary. So what's the difference between the person, because I was actually just listening to Denise Duffield Thomas the other day, who said once she got to sort of six figures, And then when she hit seven figures, she actually worked less to get that. And I was like, awesome. That's great to know. Bring it on. So what do you think is the difference between these sort of super hardworking hustlers with our superhero capes on versus the person who's just much more streamlined, 20, 25 hours a week, or maybe less, and earning just as much? What is the major difference? It comes down to the 80-20 rule, always. The 80-20 rule is Pareto principle, which says... 80% of our results come from 20% of our efforts. Mm -hmm. The reason hustlers have to hustle nonstop is everything is tied to their efforting. Everything is tied to them doing the work. Um, Efforting. (laughs) Efforting, yes. Everything is tied to their time and energy. Mm -hmm. But when you are building a business and you have a, a vision for the long term, you have to build in sustainability, which means it's not just about not charging dollars for hours because there are plenty of businesses that charge dollars for hours and are very, very profitable and very, very successful. So I'm going to say it's not just about dollars for hours. It is about understanding which of those hours that you are putting into your business actually drive results. In my business, I've had to redefine my role as CEO. Every time I hire somebody else on the team, I have to ask myself, well, how does this change my role? Mm -hmm. And we go through this process with everybody in the team because the biggest reason that we get in trouble is we hire somebody and then we keep stepping in their lane. We keep going in and saying, well, it doesn't take me any time to create that graphic in Canva or it's faster for me just to handle this instead of delegating this. And so we keep kind of dipping into this $10 an hour bucket of tasks, of customer service, of administrative, of basic operations tasks. And we don't give ourselves the freedom to focus on the $10,000 an hour tasks. Mm. So my question to everybody is if you are truly being the CEO of your business, if you are getting paid $1,000 an hour or $10,000 an hour, what would you focus on? Where would you put your time and energy? For me, it comes down to just three things. One, it comes down to being able to create the content, the intellectual property that drives the business. Now that includes doing interviews like this. Mm -hmm. That also includes creating the intellectual property for programs that we offer. I record it once, I create it once, it serves lots and lots and lots of people. Does that mean I have to be the workhorse that not only like for my own podcast, promote yourself to CEO, I record it but I don't edit it. I don't create the show notes. I don't create the newsletter. I don't create the social media posts. Like I focus on the one thing that only I can do and the team handles everything else. So I delegate out everything that's not the the $1,000 or $10,000 an hour activity. I also focus on working with clients. So I've got content, the intellectual property, the other piece is clients. I show up for what we've promised our clients. 
And also (laughs) I make sure my team is helping me in implementing that. Mm -hmm. So I show up to lead our CEO collective calls that we host every week. We have Q and a calls, we have mentorship calls, we have mastermind calls. We have all these different types of calls in our calendar for our clients and I show up and support them a hundred percent. And I make sure I get to know those clients. I make sure I'm really getting to understand what's going on in their businesses so that when I give an answer, they actually know that I have context <laughs> for what is going on for them. Yeah. And the final thing is connections because relationships are what drive your business. Your business will grow at the speed of relationships and every major opportunity that has come my way has come because of a connection I've had. It's come because I made the time to get to know somebody and become their friend and cheer them on and share their stuff and reach out to them. And then in turn, they ask me to speak on their stage or show up on their podcast or participate in their thing. So those are my three jobs. That's it. And those are all thousand dollar or more activities when I'm actually figuring out what is the value of the different things that need to happen in my business. Because clients connection, love it. Content clients connections. My team can handle so much of the other stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So my focus has got to be on what is the highest impact work that is going to move the needle for my business? Because at the end of the day, my business will move at the pace of my focus and what I am putting my energy on. And I am not going to move the needle in my business by hanging out in the inbox all day or by watching TikTok. I (laughs) wish that would happen because TikTok is very entertaining to me right now. But that's not driving my business forward. So that's how I've been able to work 25 hours a week for 12 years has been honestly, that is what I focus on. And I focus on building out the systems and the support team to help me stay in my lane. Yeah. And their job is to help me like literally my team. If they see me in the inbox, they will be like, Rachel, what are you doing in there? That's <laughs> should, awesome. you be dealing, should you be dealing with this? Get out of my inbox. And I'm like, cool, thank you for keeping me in my lane. That is what I need is for you to help me stay focused on the highest impact things that will move the business forward. Yeah, love it. I was laughing as you were saying some of that because I I so know all these things and it's such great advice. So thank you. But there there I was like stepping into the lane in my awesome OBM the other day going, I just know that I can do this. And I'm like, no, you just have to push back at me if I do that. You just have to, because I think it's those ingrained habits of doing it for so many years, even when you have a team and because you enjoy it or you love it, but just like, tell me when to get out. (laughs) Let me focus on my awesome clients and my community. And as you said, the content. And I think when you were saying the content as well, it's not that you have to create all of it. Like I love turning up for podcast interviews, like you said as well. It's a brilliant way to then repurpose that, spin that out into blog posts, et cetera videos are awesome, but it doesn't mean you have to be doing every single part of the content creation just so long as it's your voice coming through and your expertise and your knowledge and your point of view, right? So I just wanted to clarify for people listening going, but I can't create all the content. It's not necessarily about creating it all, but it's about understanding that you're the producer of it and then your team can help you put it together. For people who are listening or like, yeah, but I haven't even got enough income yet to afford the team. I'd be really curious to know, I always love asking this actually, who your first hire was. And maybe now looking back, whether you would have made a different decision on on who you'd get in your team first and foremost. Yeah. So I was in a unique situation when I was really ramping up my business because I had these twin babies in January of 2010, pretty soon after I really went all in on this business. And I knew like time was my scarcest resource, honestly. 
And just to be clear, my husband was a seventh grade English teacher at the time. And here in the United States, seventh grade English teachers get paid like 40 grand a year. It is not much. And we made the decision for me to start this business that we would streamline our entire life so that we could live on his salary, including these two new babies, and that I was going to focus on getting this business up and going as quickly as I could, but without impacting our our life. And because I had these new babies, there were two hires I had to make very quickly. One was a babysitter, because anyone who has a newborn, (laughs) duplicate that. And I needed help. Like, I honestly needed help. So thankfully, when you become a twin mom, you meet all the other twin moms. It's like we have a homing beacon for all the other (laughs) twin moms. And a friend of mine, who ironically also was a yoga teacher who worked at that studio that I talked about at the very beginning, we had twins a year apart. Mm. So we hired a babysitter to split between the two of us because good babysitters are hard to find. You have to pay them well and you have to give them enough hours that they will actually show up. So we split a babysitter for a whole year. Babysitter would come to me Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and would go to her on Tuesday, Thursdays. And that gave me my time so that I could work on my business. So a babysitter was like $12 an hour in 2010. I just had to make more than $12 an hour to make Mm -hmm. that work. So that was my first big hire. The second big hire was Amber, who has been my right-hand woman (laughs) since 2011, honestly. She was my first big hire and she is still on my team. She is my director of operations. She's my integrator now. And we have grown together over almost 10 years. She met my twins when they were 18 months old. And I hired her next because I realized, one, I needed to focus on creating the content. I knew that the direction the business needed to go was more leveraged, was more courses, was more creating content for blogs and things like that. I didn't start my podcast until 2015, but I knew I needed someone who could take all the other stuff off my plate. So she started as my virtual assistant and she's very techie. So she was able to really handle both the inbox and the calendar and all that stuff when I had a lot of one-on-one clients, but she also was very committed to learning all of the technical sides, all of the behind the scenes operation side of things. Um, and so we have grown together over nine, nine and a half years we've been together now, is which so is cool. pretty amazing. That's ancient yeah. in online business world. Yeah. But those are my first two hires, the babysitter and then Amber. Yeah. I think there's so much to be said about sitting down and recognizing, you know, doing that audit of your strengths, the things you love doing, the things you dislike doing, the things you can't do. I do this always, I call it the full list Mm -hmm. of freedom. And then looking down that and going, cool, what one person could do a bunch of these because no one person could do all the things. They can't replace you in an instant. And I think that's a mistake a lot of entrepreneurs make is they hire and they try and turn a virtual assistant into everything. The copywriter, the tech wizard, but just going down and looking at those things that you repetitively do every single day that you really don't need to be doing anymore and slowly starting to take those off your list with that one person. So for people who are listening, like views, that will be exactly where I'd start. And I'll link to that in the show notes, the ball is to freedom. It's just a really helpful, simple exercise to do. Makes it I so love much that. clearer. Yeah. Yes. Anything you're doing consistently, that is the place to hire. And I feel like for a lot of people, that first hire is either someone who's more on the customer service side or someone who's more on the tech side. And I was very lucky that Amber is like a unicorn and she handled both for a long time. But as we went on, we realized that her skill was really in understanding all the systems and the tech and the project management 
and we could hire someone to help us with customer service. So that's what we did. Like over time, we started growing the team, but it was a game changer because it gave me so much time back again to focus on my highest priority, highest impact activities. Yeah, such a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's amazing. So ladies out there listening, please ask for help and then get help. And then it allows you to just grow into the person you need to be to make this huge impact and the income that you deserve. Rachel, this has been so much fun. I know we could talk for ages and we could go down so many rabbit holes and things to talk about, but just really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your journey and also really digging into some of those facts that we want to change and the ripple effect that we want to make in the world. And it starts with us. It starts with every single one of us to earn more, to make more impact, to lift up other women, to create the diversity in our businesses, to give others a platform. So awesomeness. We will link to everything in the show notes. Is there one final piece of advice that you'd love to leave listeners today? Yeah. If this is sparking anything in you that maybe your business should be or could be, has the potential to be more than just a alternative career path for you, then I really encourage you to lean into that and to dream big. I feel like women are not told to dream big. We are told to play small over and over again. And our culture and our conditioning has reinforced that to us in so many ways. But I truly believe women are going to make the difference. We're going to make the world happier. We're going to make the world healthier. We're going to make the world more connected. We're going to make the world more caring, more empathetic. We're going to make the world be the world that we want our children to grow into. And if that is the path that you are on, don't hide back because you feel like it's too much or you're not the person. Like we each have our part to play Mm -hmm. and it's going to take all of us collectively to make that difference. 100%. I love it. Beautiful words to part on. Where is the best place for people to find more about the lovely you? Yes, you can come over to my podcast, Promote Yourself to CEO, where we share strategic concepts about how to start and scale your service-based businesses. Also, I love hanging out on Instagram and you can find me there at rachel.cook. Perfect. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. So I really hope you enjoyed that interview. All the links are in the show notes that you can find over at nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast. Or if you're listening to Untapped in one of your podcast players, you should be able to see all the links in the actual show notes there as well. If you are looking for more repeatable, predictable income and income of 10K a month or more, as well as a savvy community of amazing women who are all on the same journey to make an impact, earn the income they deserve and have a pretty damn beautiful lifestyle where there is less stress, more flow and more ease, I would love for you to consider applying for my 10K club, which is part masterminding, part mentoring and coaching from me, part mastery through my three pillar foundation of focus, action, and income. It is a vibrant, beautiful community of women who are stepping up to take charge of their lives and their income. And you can find out more about it at nataliesisson.com forward slash 10k plus read some of the amazing testimonials and accomplishments that we've had in just two months of this club being formed. Thanks so much for listening and make sure you go out there and tap into your potential.